The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and columnist for The New Daily. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And we are the, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. Um, so uh, apparently there's a bid for Origin this morning. Yeah, bid for Origin Energy uh, from Brookfield uh, and a company called Mid-Ocean Energy, which is a big LNG pure play owned by another infrastructure company called EIG. So Brookfield and EIG bidding $9 a share, $18.4 billion. Is that a premium over the... A big premium. The, the remarkable thing is, um, is that Brookfield and Origin have been talking since August, and this hasn't managed to leak. And in that time, uh, the Brookfield boards walked Origin up. They've bid against themselves twice, so they started at seven ninety five, and they get to nine bucks today. Uh, and there'll be eight weeks. How do we know that? They, they, they told us. They told the us. The board's that. very proud of it. <laughs> As you could imagine, then they're, they're well. I, I guess usually these things, you know, they there's a bid. The board says no. Come back with something better. This time the board's saying we don't need to say that because we've been having these secret discussions. So it's, it's interesting quite because exciting. Uh, what that tells you in a way is that when when these things do leak, it's deliberate. Yes, often, indeed. Often. They uh, they decide to leak it. Yes. Well, Brookfield, of course, bid with Mike Cannon-Brooks for AGL back in March. Yeah. So this is – Origin's a very different proposition. They don't have – they've got one uh, coal-fired power plant called Araring, which they're going to close by 2025. Um, and so this is a – you know, this is a pretty uh, – a company that's further along the transition journey than AGL. It's cleaner. It's mostly a gas company too, isn't it? Mostly a gas company. And that's what this, this mid-ocean energy is an LNG investor. Uh, LNG's become pretty valuable with old Vlad Putin doing his thing in um, Europe. So clearly they, they, want, the, they, they want to get their hands on um, origin stake in AP LNG up in Gladstone. What if, um, what if the government passes a or does a gas reserve thing and tells these companies to stop selling so much on the spot market and they've got to sell, you know, whatever it is, X number of petajoules into Australia to, to solve the gas shortage. Yeah, well, I wouldn't even worry so much about that. the specifics there. I think the bigger question is, what if uh, the government says, no, we don't want that owned by foreign entities? We don't want that uh, a share in APLNG owned by foreign entities, partly because, as you say, you know, it's going to be easier for us to uh, corral an Australian company into keeping more gas in Australia rather than exporting it. Yeah. So, lot to play out, I would have thought, but exciting. Um, Breaking news. Yes. The other thing you've been doing is covering their bank profits. So yeah. What do you reckon? I think they've been pretty good. I mean, I think uh, the, the- So they should be. The bloody interest rates are going up. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Uh, the, the, the share prices have been uh, knocked around after the bank profits, which has been interesting, but- what you've got to realise is that since mid-June, most of the banks are up 20 25%. So yeah. I think there's a bit of profit-taking. Uh, costs are starting to creep a bit higher. A bit of buy on the, uh, buy on the rumour, sell on the fact situation. I think situation. that's right, yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, I think that, yeah, as you say, interest rates are rising, so they should be getting more profitable. But the but their loan volumes are going to start cratering. Yeah, their loan volumes are going to come off. Oh, not cratering, because there's an awful lot of switching going on in the market as people come off these fixed rate loans. Yeah. So there's a lot of volume to be picked up. How profitable it is is, is questionable. I mean, NAB's chief executive, Ross McEwen, was basically saying yesterday, it's mayhem out there in the mortgage market. It's so competitive. What do you mean by may? Oh, you mean competitive. Competitive, yeah. You know, there's $4,000 cashback offers. Great for consumers. Not so good for banks because their margins are being whittled away. So, but look, you know, as we've said before, they're doing the old dance of pushing the mortgage rates up, keeping the deposit rates low. So... Who's going to have much sympathy well, for Well, they're them? expanding their margins, but, you know, it's a, it's a price-volume price issue, isn't it? I mean, yeah. They, yeah. they do better on price, but less less well on volume. Yeah. It's interesting, though. NAB, the, the, the number jumped out of me in NAB's result, 81% of their funding's coming from mortgages. So they, sorry, deposits. So they don't really need any more deposits. So the the, the, the impetus to, to reprice and be more competitive on Deposits isn't there at the moment. It will be over time. Yeah, yeah. I know the Fin Review's been having a superannuation summit. Um, have you been attending that? I watched from afar, um, and I guess the big thing that jumped out for me was this: there seems to be this groundswell of uh, views that we need some sort of cap on super. Five million seems to who's, be the who's grounds who's ground swelling. Well, I think it's coming from uh, Labor. Yeah who, you know, are getting a bit peeved with the huge tax breaks given to people with 40 million or 100 million. I think there's an SMSF with 400 million bucks in it and they're not so fond of paying tax breaks to those people. Uh, And then there's the super funds are unimpressed with it too. I would have thought this comes under the cat. Could be filed under the uh, under the heading of no brainer. Yes, I mean fair dinkum. Yeah, and five five million is pretty high too. I mean, make it two million. Well, I guess people's retirement. No, no, okay, right. Will make change. it five. Fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, uh, <laughs> what, what's know. interesting is how do they do it? Do they retros? If you've got more than five million, are you grandfathered in? I guess you have to be. You know, they're Why? not going to force you to sell assets. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm asking the question. No, no, it just means you don't get the tax break that you used yeah, to Yeah, yeah. So you can keep your five million. You just, the, the, the tax break's capped. You just, your tax break's capped. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I don't think they can, I, well, I personally don't think they should or could grandfather it. No. Really? No. Um, no, yeah. you're right. That's a much, much easier solution. So we're kind of all uh, hanging out watching the midterm election results from the US the red and nothing's happening yet. The I mean, red we, ripple. We don't know. Yeah. It's a red ripple. What, what, did, what did you make of it? Oh, well, uh, you know, finally there's been an outbreak of sense in the US. Yeah. I yeah. mean, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, abortion is more, more of a sort of a negative for the Republicans than they thought. Um, Trump's more of a negative than they thought. He's yep. a bit of a loser. Yes. Multiple loser now. Yes. You know, his man in um, in Pennsylvania, Mehmet Oz, has lost. Yeah, badly. Uh, badly. So, you know, I mean, uh, but I don't think he's, I don't think Trump's going to go away though, is he? I mean, no. I'd... Not that not that we know, sitting here in uh, <laughs> Leclerc Cafe in uh, beautiful downtown Hawthorne. It's a bit far away, but still, um, you know, I, I think it's very interesting what's going on over there. Yeah. I, I heard um, 
New Hampshire has a Republican voted a, a Republican uh, governor for his fourth term, which has never happened before. Um, and but Democrat senators and ha- and Congress Congress people congressmen, um, and and I heard the Republican governor sort of say, "Well, that's good. It shows New Hampshire." New Hampshireans or whatever you, the collective is for them, uh, you know, that they work with everybody. They, they can see both sides of the street. I thought that was quite an interesting sort of view of the world to say, hey, this that's not a bad thing. They're, we're not that far apart. We don't need to be at each other's throats all the time. Uh, well, that's probably that's too a, much to think that's, that's a pretty be. rare sentiment yeah, in the US at yeah. the moment. Honestly, oh, they are split down the middle, aren't they? They are. But I haven't heard it at all, so I just thought, oh, yeah. that's, that's interesting. No, fair enough. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the other thing I want to talk about a bit is just briefly is my new the, new daily column this morning. And I talked about income tax. Yeah. Because um, uh, with the stage three tax cuts coming up, there's um, been some talk about you know not only just whether they should be abandoned or not, but it's uh, some people are saying well, it, it, it's largely to do with handing back bracket creep. Mm. And what should happen, in fact, is indexing the tax scales to the CPI. Yes which was actually done in the late 70s. It's called, you know, it's called tax indexation. And simply what they do is they, uh, the idea is that the, uh, the salary at which uh, various tax rates kick in, whether it's the middle or top rate, um, that salary is increased each year according to the CPI. Right. Um, and so that, that means that there is at least for the inflation purposes, no bracket creep. Yes, but yes. bracket creep still occurs if you get um, pay rises from promotions or increases in excess of CPI, which it seems to me is the purpose of a progressive tax system. It's fine. That that sort of bracket creep is okay. Yeah, okay, because you're well. The whole idea of bra- uh, progressive taxation is that people who are better off yes pay, pay higher tax yep. pay a pay a higher ta- a percentage tax rate. Yeah, and that includes people who get who become better off over time. Yes. Okay. Okay. So what you're saying? Yep. So, so I thought, well, it's what would ha- what would have happened if for the past forty years there'd been tax indexation, if the tax scales of 1983 uh, were still the same, and just that the the salaries at which they kick in had been increased according to inflation. Yeah. And um, so I worked it out. Yes. Which you did. Took, which <laughs> took a bit of time. Did you have an abacus or something or a slide rule? <laughs> No, I had the trusty Excel spreadsheet. Oh, beautiful! Anyway, this is my my number. So, the, the in the last financial year, personal income tax revenue was two hundred forty billion. Yep. Uh, and my calculation would be that if the tax scales of eighty three had applied, and the salaries at which they'd been in uh, that they kick in had been increased by the CPI since nineteen eighty three, um, uh, the personal income tax revenue would be four hundred billion. Right, right. The so the, the so the tax rates, the eighty three tax rates were thirty cents, thirty percent, forty percent, forty six percent, and sixty percent. Six? Did you say sixty? Top marginal rate then in eighty three was sixty percent. Right, right. Yep. And in eighty three, it kicked in at thirty five thousand dollars. Yes. Right. Okay. CPI, but CPI increasing that thirty five thousand dollars by the CPI mm-hmm. would be. 131,000 now. The top marginal rate at 60% would be 131. Yep. Right. 
So that's what that's what tax indexation would be. Now I, I'm not advocating a 60% top marginal rate. What I'm doing, <laughs> what I'm trying to do is just say, look what's happened. Yeah, yeah. This is what's happened, right? And that if tax indexation had applied, there would be absolutely no um, uh, a budget deficit, no structural deficit, no budget deficit. There'd be tons of money for everything we need, right? Yeah. NDIS, the rest yes. of it. Yeah. Um, uh, I suppose the thing is that we've been taught to think that 60% tax rate over the past 40 years, 60% top marginal tax rate is terrible, hmm. appalling. Yes. Um, but it didn't used to be appalling. It was fine. Everyone was fine. But what's happened is that uh, what used to be called economic rationalism and is now called neoliberalism yes. has, has forced tax rates globally lower, income tax rates lower, because rich people who took control of the world yes. decided they didn't want to pay tax as much anymore and they want small government, right? Yep, yep. So the, the whole thing of uh, the whole kind of process has been about small government, right? But the thing is that while the rich people want small government, the rest of us don't. Really? We don't. What we want is properly funded aged care. Yes. And childcare. Yes, yeah. And we want um, the NDIS. And we want a proper health system where there's no shortages of GPs in the country. Mm. And there's no ramping in hospitals. We actually want People want the services, that's all I'm saying. Yes. And don't want potholes in the roads, right? And we don't want to be, you know, we want, we want the place to run properly. But so what's happened is that over the past 30 or 40 years, um, tax rates have been driven down. Governments have got no money. Mm. Uh, governments have been forced to be smaller. Um, but uh, uh, the demands on them, the demands on governments, have not really diminished. Yeah. But it's not that anyone wants to be taxed at 60%, right? No, of course it, not. It, it's just that they want the uh, level of government services that 60% would provide. So, I, I mean, what's the sort of... You've done a good job defining the problem here, but what's the solution? You know, no one, no one's going to be paying... No one wants to be paying 60% tax rate as a general rule, but at 60% at 131,000, I mean, there'd be mass immigration, wouldn't there? Sure. Um, that's right. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, as I say, I'm not proposing that, but I, but I do, I am saying that I think um, taxes have to rise. Yeah. So the artificial uh, limit on taxation uh, of 23.9% of GDP yes. that the coalition yep. has come up with yep. um, has got to stop. Yes, got to, if we want aged care, NDIS, sure. all that stuff. So, you know, as to what it should be, I don't know. I mean, it needs to be higher, that's all. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe the GST needs to be higher. Certainly income taxes need to be higher. We need to tax resources. We need to tax resources properly. Yep, yep. You know? And I mean, we need to think about the tax concessions we give to things like super. Superannuation, exactly. Yeah. And, so it's and a, property, CGT. And exactly. Yeah, negative yeah. gearing. There's a lot of things where that have just grown up over the years that really are costing too much. Yeah. Uh, that lead to this suppression of tax revenue that is um, really causing a real problem, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you're... Um, th this, is, this is clearly what the... You know, this was the... To, to come back to that super summit, this is the 
challenge that these guys are facing, right? That Labor's facing. That that they see the size of the deficit. They see the sort of structural nature of it with the pressures on the NDIS and health and defence spending and energy and that sort of thing. Um, and something's got to give, yeah. And, and you're right. The question is what. Um, so again, like we, we, we've got it. We, you, you're right. Either it's tax rates, or these, or these, or concessions, or a combination thereof. I mean, the, the best idea would be to do this all in one go in a sort of holistic way, a mature holistic way, uh, which has proved very difficult over the last twenty years. But maybe we're coming to the crunch point. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's certainly the case that the governments have been trying to have it both ways to. Yeah. to cut taxes and to provide all the services. You know, the NDIS was dreamt up in 2011, 10 years ago, or 11 years ago, and, you know, it was a fantastic thing. But really, there was no kind of... Uh, Planning or modelling. <laughs> there was no plan. Well, what there wasn't was a plan to come up with the money for it. Yeah. And they had a they had an unrealistic forecast of what it would cost. And so, you know, yeah. Um, what's needed is to come up with a funding for these things as well. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it's a, it is a very interesting column, and uh, kudos to you and your spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should say, by the way, that I ran it past a contact of mine in Treasury mm. to see, you know, if the numbers were right. Yep. And um, uh, he came back and said, "Well, because he's got the modelling, right, right. The, uh, which I don't have. Yep. Yep. And I'm, I'm just a, a, I don't know, a smuck journalist trying to, trying to figure out the spreadsheet. So yeah. I, I'm not any. I'm not an economic. Well, what was his problem with your modelling, though? Is there uh, well, he specific? just said, "Look, uh, he said the, my, my figure that a figure I came up with is less than four hundred million billion. Right? Okay. Yep. Um, but the the story's kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're right in principle, but it's not quite four hundred right. yep. billion in in his mind. I mean, I, he wouldn't. He couldn't tell me what his. He couldn't give me the number. Yeah. Because he can't provide me. He can't talk to me. But. And then I got a, 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 I got a text this morning from Chris Caton, the yes. economist, yeah. who also disagreed with my figuring. So he doesn't tell me what his number is. But anyway, <laughs> so I don't know. So I'm just, I just, uh, just a sort of a health warning on that. that maybe it's not four hundred <laughs> yeah, billion, but it's, but it's more than two hundred and forty billion. Yeah, your numbers aren't supposed to be precisely correct. It's the direction that you're trying to start a conversation about, right? Exactly. Shall we ask some questions? Yeah, let's. Oh, do I'll I mean, read out some questions. I'll go first. So this is from... Two, the, two, the two top ones are... Are linked, so uh, I'll, kind of I'll the read same, them yeah. both out. It's from Jackson, the first one. He's wondering if there's a right or wrong time to switch super funds. Given the market is down at the moment, I presume the price of the units that make up my super is also reduced. Am I right in thinking that unit price of my prospective fund is also depressed and therefore I should get a roughly equivalent value of super units? And then Anthony asks, when it comes to buying and selling shares, timing becomes important. Obviously, the plan is to sell high and buy low. Uh, however, is there anything else you can do when considering moving super from one fund to another? For example, if someone was to move their super from one fund to a lower fee fund, keeping the same risk profile, is there anything you can do in today's market to protect yourself? Or is it just a case of selling and buying in the same market so there isn't anything else you can do? I think it, I think it is selling and buying in the same market. It's a bit like moving house, you know. You sell your house, buy another one um, in the same market. So I guess so. The main problem is transaction costs. Yes. Um, which bleed you. But 
Uh, is there, am I missing something? Is there something else? I don't think there's massive transaction costs with changing super funds. No, though. no, there's not. But, um, but, but, but I think, well... But yeah, you, you've just got to... If you want to... I mean, I guess I would say take a step back. Why are you changing super funds? Is it just because one's had a crappy year and, you know, you're sort of spooked by that? So get the motive, get the, get your motivation for changing super funds right first. L- moving to something that's lower fees, good. You know, being aware of your risk profile is good. But yeah. then there's not much you can do. If, you, if your decision is to move funds, there's not much you can do about the unit pricing. You're just going to have to yeah. take your druthers. And just remember, Jackson and Anthony, what what the super funds themselves say, which is that past performance is no guide to future performance. So yeah. if your super funds had a crappy year, chances are they'll have a good year next year. Yeah, yeah. But it's worth investigating. If, if you look yeah. and you go, oh, I don't like the way they're structured, there's too much in venture capital or unlisted assets, well, then that's ten, uh, uh, Or they've had 10 crappy years and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it's likely to be a habit. Yeah, yeah. But make that your main motivation, not worrying about whether you're going to lose yeah. a little bit on the buying and selling. Um, Nicholas says, was reading a story in the Age website about big debts in the banking industry. It cites that the Twitter deal may have left bank with banks with big debts. Question, if so, why would the banks fund the deal? Could you please explain what is a leverage buyout and why would the banks participate if they lose money? Details of the article in the section left me confused. Um, okay, well... Uh, you go. go <laughs> Thanks, Alan. No, 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 no. no. So, so, I mean, the, 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 the banks would fund a deal like this. They would provide leveraged funding on a deal like this because they want the fees. Uh, they want to make the deal happen and they want to get success fees. And usually what would happen is that they would parcel that debt up that they use to make the deal happen and then they would sell it uh, to lots of other people. Here's a, bit of, here's a bit of debt in Twitter. You know, you're going to get a coupon, it's going to be a great deal for you, move on. But what's happened in the last little while is that because rates are moving, it's become harder to sell that debt. And if the banks can't sell the debt, they get lumped with it. And so that is what has happened with some of this Twitter debt, that it's, been, it's, be, it's proven to be a lot harder to move on than the banks anticipated. And so they might get stuck with some of it and that might cost them a bit of money. Well, only if Twitter defaults. Only if Twitter defaults, yes. But it, but the banks aren't built to hold this debt. They're built to package it up and sell it and make some more fees from selling it. So so the, the risk, that they, they do take the risk in, in sort of underwriting these deals that they, they might carry a, a bit of this debt. But that's what's happened at the moment. Because funding markets, because interest rates are going up, it's become harder to sell debt and the banks are copying a bit of that. Hmm. Um, but it should be pointed out that um, uh, banks have big debts. That's what they're there for. Yeah, that's right. They're, be- they're, they're, they're there they're to lend money. That's, that's, the, right. that's their yeah. job. Yeah. I so, mean, yeah, some some debt they want to keep, some they want to move on. These leverage loans, they tend to want to move on. Um, it's just that at the moment, it's harder to do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, John uh, says, instead of itsy-bitsy cash increases over the last six months or so, what would have happened if Governor Lowe had increased rates by, say, 2% or more on May the 4th, thereby sending a clear signal to the inflation gods? And if if needed, he could have followed this with 1% increases should the initial message uh, be less... Uh, the impact of the initial message be less than desired. If you're going to get wet, you may as well dive into the water rather than put one toe in at a time. Yeah, I've often wondered <laughs> the same thing, but... Um, uh Actually, in 1994, when when interest rates went up by the same amount and as quickly 
as they have this year. Yeah. Uh, the interest rates went up by 2.75%. Really? In one No, no, no. Oh. It happened uh, in five, oh, okay. in, in five, five months, in three, in three jumps. Right. right. Okay. Uh, two jumps of 1% each. And then one jump of 75 points, right? Likes. So that was, the, that was your 2.75 in 1994. Bang. This year it's been a succession of uh, 50 uh, half percent rate hikes and quarter percent rate hikes. Yeah. So much more, a bit more gradual. So they have been known to do mm. something bigger than mm. the, the itsy bitsy ones, as John puts it. Um, but no, they've never done two, yeah. as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, and they sometimes cut at 1%. As well, and the US is doing 75 points or 0.75 percent uh, at a time this year. Yes, um, it's close to one. Yeah, yeah, it's so close to one percent. So look, uh, but look, I think the, 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 the answer is they're trying to fine tune things, aren't they? They're trying to say if we just tweak the dials a little bit here, then we might have to, we might yeah. not, we might be able to get away with doing less. Yeah, that's right. So, so they, they don't want to, and also doing a big two percent jump would be would really shock yeah. the markets. Yeah. There'd potentially be a bit of a crash. Yes. Uh, not just the, on the stock market and the debt market. So, look, you know, um, to, to, but they don't want to... To use John's analogy, they're trying to prevent you, you know, how you can... They're trying to prevent a heart attack when you jump in a cold pool. They're, they're, you're yeah, just gradually, right. gradually getting exactly. used to the water temperature. <laughs> um, Laurent's got a question on... Laurent, or Laurent has a question on flybys which uh, is owned 50% by Coles and 50% by Wes Farmers. Um, he reckons that uh, it's not working. He says that uh, he can't. it's worst customer service he's ever experienced. He can't get any money out of it. Uh, I'm not alone in this struggle with one-star reviews making up 70% of Flybys reviews on the website. I'm beginning to think Flybys is just a scam. Oh. They merrily take my money, mine and 8 million other Australian shopping habits and data every time we scan our cars, but don't give back to the consumer. It's time they were held to account. Well, I've never been part of flybys, but have you? Do you know anything about it? Yeah, my, my wife's a big flybyer, and, oh, yeah. and we seem to get, like, cash and shopping vouchers out of it, so I, I don't know. Maybe there needs to be... Maybe we do need to ask Steve Kane and Rob Scott... What's is going it, on? Is it simple enough? Is it user-friendly enough? I mean, it's a good point. Like, you're going to have these schemes. They do take a lot of data, and it's very valuable data. The, the, the payback needs to be smooth. Yeah, and now someone's going to steal the data <laughs> well, and hold everyone to ransom. Don't say that. Well, I'm a bloody Medibank yeah, customer. really? So I'm just waiting and for the... And a famous one, too. <laughs> well, yes, but I haven't not had a drug problem, I'm happy to say. <laughs> Except for your medicinal cannabis, of course. Yes. <laughs> that's, right. that's not a problem, though. That's, that's a prescription. <laughs> that's a prescription. Yes. Um, okay. Well, next time I'm speaking to Rob Scott, I promise, Laurent, I will ask the question. Good for is you. It, is, it, is it user-friendly enough? Now, Mark's got a not really a question, more of a comment. Stephen says there'll be sovereign risk issue with super profits tax or price cap or whatever on methane and coal. I was involved in the engineering space in Queensland where the big methane projects were being designed and built. They were falling over themselves to build these facilities when the price of gas was a fraction of its current value. Even with a healthy slice of profits coming to us to reduce our domestic energy prices, they will still wet themselves to explore for further methane. 
the only sound logical, the only sound reason to leave prices where they are is to provide a loud market signal that renewables should be fast tracked to replace methane and coal. Okay. Fair enough. It's a comment. Yep. Yeah. Ian says, forget Twitter. Is Elon Musk an existential yes. threat to Tesla? Yes, he is. Well, I reckon someone else must be running Tesla at the moment because Elon Musk isn't. Yeah. Well, I, I saw this great. Uh, there's this US analyst, Dan Ives from Wedbush. He's on. He's everywhere. He wrote this scathing note about Twitter over about Tesla overnight, saying, "Who is running the joint?" The the and his point was the main thing about. The main attraction about Tesla is Musk himself. He's the visionary. And now he's not only is his time divided, but he's selling chunks of Tesla stock to fund this stupid Twitter deal, which has just gone so far off the rails. I mean, you're a, you're a, you're a tweeter. You're a, what, what have you an made infre- of? An infrequent tweeter. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm getting a bit sick of t- Twitter, to be honest. I reckon everyone's going to leave it alone. Really? Yeah, I reckon mm. Twitter's going down the toilet. Yeah, well... Poor old Muskie spent forty-four billion on the joint. I mean, I think Ian's right. And Tesla is such a great opportunity. Are they do they do everything right? No, but the opportunity they've got is so big. And shame to see him hmm. stuff it up because he's diverted by this stupid Twitter site. Yeah, I mean, I love Twitter. I think there's great stuff. I learn a lot. Interesting people, but you know, why'd you need to buy it? Yeah. That's bizarre. Bizarre. Roberto, your turn. Roberto, if I were in government for the day with no political consequences and could bring in one law or policy... If you were in government, sorry, Alan, for the day with no political consequences and could bring in one law or policy to fix inflation so the hardship was equally shared, what would it be? I was thinking temporarily raise the GST, but I'm not sure that would work. The interest rate rises don't seem to be equitable as it doesn't affect everyone, i.e. people on fixed rates or with no debt. Well, first that is a thing, great question from It Roberto. is a fantastic question. And, Roberto, first thing is you'd need more than a day. <laughs> <laughs> but, look, um, uh, uh, it's absolutely true that raising interest rates is not equitable. In fact, it's shockingly inequitable mm. because, it, you know, it really affects poor people much more than rich people. This is the problem with inflation. No, but, but that's, it's raising interest rates just makes it worse for poor people yeah, because they're the borrowers, right? The rich people have got the savings. They're getting the increased uh, say, you know, interest rates on their savings. Yes. And the, the poor people are paying extra interest on their borrowings, yes, right? I know. Yes, but the tra- yes. And the reason that they go for interest rates rather than putting up the GST or putting up petrol prices or putting up bread prices, which all would have the same impact yes. on inflation by, by reducing demand, um, is because interest rates are not in the CPI. So if you put up GST mm. or put up any other price, mm. it directly increases inflation. Yes. And so it actually does the opposite, opposite of, what of what you're, you're trying want. to achieve. Of course. But interest rates are not in the CPI. Yeah. So, so therefore, you can put up interest rates without directly impacting inflation, but it does indirectly impact inflation because it increases business costs and therefore uh, tends to force businesses to put up their prices. But it's not direct, yeah. and it's muted. So it tends to be muted. You've poo-pooed Roberto's idea. What would what would what do you reckon you'd do? Oh well, the only thing to do is put up interest rates. I'm yeah. just I'm not saying there's anything else you can do. <laughs> right. I'm just saying it's shocking. Yeah. And in fact, uh, uh, inflation is not as bad as putting up interest rates. Mm. In my opinion. Okay. I mean, 
there is a point at which inflation is as bad. Like, is it ten percent? I don't know. I mean, Phil Lowe says it's but, evil. Hey, Phil Lowe says it's evil inflation. Oh yeah, but you know, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. I mean, yeah, he says that. He says lots of stuff. He said that we wouldn't have interest rates yeah, going up from point one percent for I, three years. I did see you tweet that. <laughs> I mean, honestly. So yeah, yeah, we're not going to pay much attention to what he says. But um, the thing is, there is nothing else. But I think that there needs to be. Uh, uh, we don't need to get inflation down to two to three percent. In my opinion. Mm. Don't need to do that. Well, this is starting to be... The, isn't it interesting how this is starting to be the debate, particularly in America, that the inflation target will be moved? It'll be... The Fed won't go for 2%. It might go for 2 to 4%. That fine. is... Uh, yeah, it's fine with Fascinating me. to see Goldman's and Bank of America start to openly talk about that. So, so we've got one more question, um, and I need... Uh, so I'll uh, do this. Brett says, I unfortunately purchased shares in... I signed this after an interview you did with them a few years ago. That was mm. me. And I interviewed John Carancis of I signed this. And I did this through my Australian Super... Now they've delisted and changed to Southern Cross Payments, but are still in business. How do I get my money back? Well, OK, so so it turned out that John Carancis, you know, uh, was... How can I put it? A little... Dodgy. Well, anyway, I signed this was de- uh, delisted or at least suspended. Yes. Long term, and uh, it then demerged. Right. Yep. And split itself into two. Yes. So the shareholders of I signed this got the I signed this business plus Southern Cross Payments. Right. Which is a payments, you know, a payments business. And John Carancis went to Cyprus, where he now lives. Okay. I signed this. Is now a Cyprus company right. that operates in, in Europe and who knows what the hell's going on with that. I don't know. Yep. But you can't, you can't either buy shares in it, as far as I'm aware, or sell them. Sell so them. if you've got, you've got shares in I sign this, you can't sell them. Right. Uh, last week, Southern Cross Payments was also delisted. Yeah. Uh, I went on their website, couldn't find, an, uh, couldn't find a phone number, so I actually went to their office. Oh! On the way Should to the ABC ever. yesterday, yeah. they're at 232 Victoria Parade, East Melbourne. Right. And what happened? So I showed up, parked out the front. It's on the seventh floor of this little little, little high-rise yeah. in, in East Melbourne, mainly occupied by the Australian Catholic University. And okay, on the top yeah. floor is Southern Cross Payments. Right. The doors open, so I barged in. Yes. And I said to some person there, I said, who's in charge? I said, is the boss here? And they said, it's Fong, pointing to the back of the room. And there was, right. about, 10, there was about 10 people beavering away at um, terminals. And so I went in search of Fong and yeah. found him. Yeah. And I said, Fong, what's happening? Um, <laughs> is this an actual company? Are you actually doing business? What, what, do you, what are you doing? Yes. And I said, so Fong recognised me from the ABC, so he <laughs> was... He was a bit deer in the headlights. <laughs> he was a bit of a deer in the headlights. Yeah, <laughs> poor Fong. Yep. Um, did he have a Did he have a response though? Well, he said, "Yeah, yeah." Well, you know, uh, he said, "I'm just the accountant here. I'm not in charge. You know, the 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 CFO and the CEO are working from home today." So I said, "Okay, whatever." Yeah. Anyway, I said, "So uh, you've you've been delisted last week, haven't you?" He says, "Yeah, that's right." So I said, "Are you ever going to be relisted? Hmm. What's happening? Are you going to?" Is this permanent or what? He says, I don't know. Um, but there were about, ten, as I say, there were about 10 people in there 
doing stuff. Right. So there's something happening. So it is a business. Right. It does seem to be a company. They do seem to be engaged in some sort of payments business, which I don't fully understand. Um, but I must say, reading the correspondence between Southern Cross Payments and the ASX mm. last week, it did feel permanent. Right. There was no kind of temporary... Aspect. Uh, the word temporary did not yeah. appear in their correspondence. So I think, Brett, uh, you may be in strife. Yeah. Bottom Ta- line. Um, valuable tax loss. Might but be I, I do feel partly responsible for this, which is why I, I thought I should go and yeah. actually front these people. Yeah. Uh, as I did. Um, because, you know, Brett's bought these shares on the back of an interview I did. I didn't recommend the stock, I must say. Mm. I, you know, I, I never recommend the stocks. Well, I don't very often. I didn't recommend this. I didn't buy any myself, thank goodness. Um, and I, but I'm Brett. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that you bought them, and I'm sorry that you were led astray by my interview with this bloke, John Carancis. Yeah. Um, and possibly did not, therefore, uncover in that interview the problems that were about to unfold. Yeah. Well, uh, good on you for going to see. Going to the office, so there's a there's an accountant who'll never leave his bedroom again. But um, yeah, well, yeah, it's a very sticky situation. Doesn't reflect well on anyone involved, I don't think. No, and and including me. Oh well, no, I think you, no. There, there was a moment when that company looked pretty legitimate, and I'm not proud of my John Carantis interview, and in fact, occasionally rear window. Um, uh, mentions it. Reminds you of it. Reminds me right. of, okay. of that not being my f- my um, my finest hour. Yeah, okay. But anyway. Um, uh, so on that note, thanks for listening, everyone, to today's episode of Money Cafe. Stephen Maynard will be back next week. Send in your questions to the Money Cafe at eurekareport.com.au. Till then, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Financial Review. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>